0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, across the world and the universe. Welcome to my Quantum Living Podcast, at the intersection of science and spirituality. I'm your host, Anna Anderson, Quantum Teacher, Intuitive Guide, and above all, an Inquisitive Soul. This podcast is about how we can bring the various spiritual, metaphysical, and esoteric concepts and ideas validated by quantum physics and modern cosmology to the very practical level, to improve and enrich our life experience as individuals, communities and the humankind. Whether you are listening to this show while driving or commuting, doing chores around a house, relaxing on a couch, or flying in a spaceship across the galaxy, I hope you'll enjoy today’s episode. Okay, let’s begin. Hello and welcome back to Quantum Living. Let's talk relationships. Yes, we can't live with them, can't live without them. I can see shivers of anxiety running down your spine. Relationships, and in particular romantic relationships, are arguably the most important, most neglected, and most difficult part of our life. What is a relationship? How can we make it work? Where do we go wrong? And, most importantly, how can we heal our most precious human connections? These are the key questions that need to be answered, and yet we don't ask them often enough. In my coaching work with hundreds of people over the past 15 years, almost every client had a relationship issue, whether it was the key issue they wanted to address or the real issue buried so deeply in the background of their busy lives that it was invisible, and yet it had a strong impact on their life. When our relationship is invisible, we must be breaking some of the key rules of a happy relationship, which I will talk about in a moment. This applies to any relationship, with our partner, family, relatives, in-laws, outlaws, friends, colleagues. Bosses at work, neighbors, any relationship. Healing and improving relationships is a huge topic, huge body of knowledge. You could write a PhD thesis on this subject, and I'm sure that someone did. (laughs) What is human relationship anyway? At its core, it is an energetic connection between two people with a varying degree of intimacy and intensity. From a customer or client relationship with your retail store manager or supplier, to colleagues, co-workers, neighbours and friends, to family and intimate relationship with your partner. And they are all important and while very different, they all do matter. The first key concept I'd like to introduce here is that there are three energetic entities in any relationship. You, the other person, And your relationship with its own energy and dynamic. This is the space of us, not me or you, not even me and you. This is the space of our togetherness. In a formal setting of an intimate relationship, we call it a marriage. But it is much more than that. It is a symbol of yin and yang with two intertwined polarities that comprise the whole and can't be separated without disrupting the energy flow of the symbol. The whole is far greater than the sum of its parts. And it is so much more than a nice fluffy concept. This is the space where you and your partner must step in to meet. When you compromise, when you negotiate, when you communicate, when you want to understand each other better, when you want to be vulnerable, in the most intimate moment. You must leave your ego behind on the periphery and step into the sacred space of us. This is the common territory of acceptance, forgiveness, and unconditional love. You'd be surprised how many relationships leave this space unoccupied. When each partner is sitting on the periphery, in their own comfort zone, protecting their interests and rights, their ego while the relationship is dying. The key secret to a happy and healthy relationship is to focus on the relationship, not on you or your partner. Build it, feed it, grow it. This togetherness with the flowing you and me, who are lost and insignificant in the power of this energy center, your relationship. Now, This energetic bond of relationship is sustained by the positive emotions and values of love, trust, respect, understanding, appreciation, recognition, acceptance, honesty, joy, gratitude, forgiveness, generosity, support, compassion. And it is quickly eroded by the negative energies of being taken for granted, of ignorance, jealousy, distrust, dishonesty, disrespect, rejection, judgment, criticism, blame, down disregard, egoism, betrayal, unfaithfulness, which soon will lead to the breakdown of the relationship. Which emotions and attitudes are the most common in your relationship? Become aware of those negative ones as they do need to be healed. Each partner contributes to the relationship their own values, standards, beliefs, experiences, attitudes and personality, as well as their needs and expectations. Clearly there has to be a good match with the similar, complementary, and challenging elements for the relationship to work. And so, the right balance is the key. You will hear me say in this interview that I used to offer a relationships program for couples in my suite of quantum coaching programs. In fact, I have since brought it back. And yes, it is now available as Healing Relationships Joint Four Session Program. For more information, inquiries, and bookings, please visit my main website at quantumliving.com.au. You will find a link to it in the show notes. It is a powerful program, based on both science and spirituality, unlike any standard relationships, coaching, or counselling, which has helped many couples to heal, restore, and often save their relationship. I'd like to share with you here the seven golden rules. For a healthy relationship which are part of the program as the basic ingredients but of course there is so much more that we work through on that program. 1. Never try to change your partner against their will. 2. Never take your partner or your relationship for granted. 3. Be always present for your partner and listen without judgment or criticism. A different point of view should only encourage a robust discussion where mutual respect is key. Champion each other with no egos. 4. Communicate often and openly in a safe environment of love, trust, and understanding. Being vulnerable without fear is the highest level of bonding. 5. Stay focused on growing your relationship from the inside. Shield it from the external influences of your families, friends, and anyone else claiming that they know better what's best for you. Six, make an effort to get to know really well and understand your partner, their values, beliefs, experiences, and expectations, their communication filters and modes, the way they approach life. This is a lifelong, or at least a relationship-long assignment which will give you the valuable insights for growing your relationship and the right strategies for diffusing conflict situations. And 7. Take the full responsibility for your relationship. When each partner does that, magic happens. And now I'd like to introduce to you my returning guest, Diana Dow. Diana is a professional, full-time consulting evolutionary astrologer based in Melbourne, Australia, working with clients from all over the world. She has several years of astrology practice and training under her belt and chose to specialize in evolutionary astrology. You will find more information about Diana and her work in this episode, show notes on my podcast website at quantumlivingpodcast.com. My first conversation with Diana was in the second episode of the new season 5, Lifting the Veil with Astrology. And if by any chance you haven't listened to it yet, I recommend that you do, as you will also enjoy it. Hello Diana, welcome to Quantum Living. It's a pleasure to have you back on my show.
1: Hello, Anna. Thank you so much for having me back. I was really um, honoured and excited that you asked me to come back again and explore this subject with you.
0: Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Now, I understand that you have recently attended a conference focused on relationships in astrology, which is great because today we'll be talking about relationships from more than the usual perspectives. (laughs) This episode title is Heavenly Relationships, which has a double meaning, and that's what I would like to explore. Relationships is a very popular topic. Everyone talks about it, mainly because it is such a huge part of our life, looking for ways to improve them, heal them, and generally make our relationships better, especially intimate relationships but I like to look at relationships from an uncommon angle, as I like uncovering different perspectives of a common theme. (laughs) So, the title Heavenly Relationships has two meanings, as I said, and encoded questions, if you like. How can astrology help us navigate our relationships and how to create heavenly relationships and... Here comes the kicker. Do we actually want them to be perfect? (laughs) A great metaphor for this conversation I've got is wall climbing. You can't climb a wall that is smooth and polished. You need some bits sticking out of it. I believe they are called grips, which will resist your weight and support you so that you can go up higher. Would you like to have a partner who agrees with you no matter what you do and say? And not to everything, with no challenge to your thoughts, not showing you other ways or ideas, no robust discussions. This is a polished wall, no way to climb it. I know I wouldn't last in such a relationship for more than a week. On the other side of the spectrum, we want love, support and understanding, and of course, respect, friendship, etc. So the key here is to have a balance in a relationship with all those ingredients. Many people live in, as they call it, dysfunctional relationships. Dysfunctional means it does not function, it is not working, for usually more than one reason. And yet, often neither person will take steps to end it, if it is beyond repair And yes, there could be some pragmatic elements, like the children who are keeping the relationship together, or a much more complex issue of dependency, from financial to psychological. And of course, I will always recommend relationship counseling, where appropriate. So, relationship is a very complex topic, but let's just keep in mind in this conversation the heavenly description with those two meanings. So to begin with, Diana, do you agree with my wall-climbing metaphor for a healthy relationship, which is not perfect, <laughs> and how can astrology help us navigate our relationships, broadly speaking? And then we'll get down to the nitty-gritty.
1: Yeah, look, um, I love your analogy of the um, climbing wall because you instantly think there's things there that, you know, you need to have your support on to climb up. I love that analogy. and of course, without any of those edgy bits sticking out, um, you're not going to go anywhere. And I agree with you entirely. I think some of our best relationships are not perfect by any means. Some people might want them to be, but others, <laughs> I think in general, we need challenges in order to grow, you know, and yeah. relationships are like the ideal vehicle for, helping us bring the unconscious to the conscious if we're prepared to do the self-reflection. And, um, you know, relationships including friendships, parent-child, business relationships, but especially our intimate relationships, Mm -hmm. holds up a mirror to ourselves and and stirs up or um, triggers parts of ourselves that we may not be in touch with, parts of ourselves that we might in fact project out onto the other um, on the relationship parts that we believe are not even ours, even though they are, that we, you know, we need to own and integrate to become our most conscious and um, aware selves and learn from, evolve, grow, despite some of the pain that relationships bring us. Um, I think it's also where we learn to participate beyond ourselves and where we learn a lot more about ourselves as a result. And, you know, the tensions of two souls interacting with one another can be an incredible motivator for personal growth, which is why we do often end up with people who do challenge us. And I think this is part of the purpose is to be challenged, to grow, to learn what we don't know about ourselves and equally to learn what we don't want and walk away when we need to. And, to answer that last bit of your question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know a relationship astrology really does help us to shine a light on what might be a our individual needs and drivers what we need met in relationship but also what our specific relationship interactions with others might be bringing up for us as well as the specifics of that particular relationship so, you know, what's the purpose? What's the mission? Why are these two people together? Or how can they grow and evolve? And how can we best work with the challenges that come our way as, as well?
0: Lovely. Thank you. You have actually touched upon a couple of other points I wanted to raise, such as in the context of our soul journey, which you do look at, as I understand, in evolutionary astrology. What is the purpose of our relationships, and especially those intimate ones? What are the d- drivers and what are they being shaped by?
1: How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, look, it's actually, and as you said, I've just been immersed in this kind of subject, and I, it's one that I've been pondering myself for years, you know, what is the purpose Um And I found myself using astrology to try and gain some perspective on one of my most significant relationships. I wanted to know the purpose of why we were together. And I found that after studying my own relationship dynamics, and of course, now many other people's, there's actually quite a varied um, purpose to relationships. And There are all kinds of relationships we find ourselves in. One thing for sure, they're not all destined to last, and I think we have to just scrap that myth that things last forever. Um, You know, sometimes we can have a really intense encounter with another person that changes us forever, albeit really brief, right? It's just one of those interactions that, you know, does change you forever. But, you know, it might be that... There are those short-term purposes, you know, of a relationship that might just be there to fulfill a specific need, for example. It might be that someone just needs to learn one specific thing from that partner and they come together based on a mutual need for security or sexuality, for example. And then, after that particular dynamic is fulfilled, or as the case may be, you know, the relationship ends its natural death. It fizzles out. There's usually not enough foundational elements to keep the couple together, or indeed, you know, some relationships might continue on for one dominant like purpose, like financial security or the kids, like you said. Um, but yeah, so there are those relationships that are for really just fulfilling one need. And I think if we start to, you know, Um, embrace that and understand that we might just be having short interactions with people from time to time that changes our whole kind of expectation about, you know, our relationship needs, right? And then, of course, we've all heard about opposites attracting, and I see this a lot with clients, people who are astrologically and temperamentally very different to their partner, but they're drawn together anyway because of this opposition, right? Right. So, you know, you've got the extrovert with the introvert, the fiery outgoing person with the watery introspective person, and these oppositions can be really compelling. And these attractions and relationships can work because the other is teaching us something or exposing us to parts of ourselves that we might not have or that we're unconscious of, which, you know, might only be activated with that within that relationship. So I've got an example, if you want it. I have um, no air, the element air in my chart at all. And all my most significant relationships have been with people who have dominant air in their chart. So I need to learn how to integrate this missing part of myself by literally learning from others. I kind of talk about it as, you know, it's the fourth prong that props up the table that keeps, I need that element because I'm missing it, so I have to have it in a partner, right? And equally my current partner has very little fire, so I'm the fire in our relationship, he's the air. Now we know that, which is just... (laughs) as well um and like knowing just even the basics right of your own and your partner's elemental makeup like are they dominant earth air fire and water can be a huge benefit in understanding and accepting each other's um basic temperaments are you someone for example that operates from the feeling realms like expressing your emotion passionately for example or are you someone who comes at life from a much more pragmatic and logistical perspective, right? Which is more air. So yeah, so that's um that's one other one. And then of course there's those relationships where you instantly feel like you just know that other person, you recognize them. They are from they're from the same soul family. You're coming together to either finish some business from a past life and this relationship might also just be one that has um, a short lifespan but it feels fated as though you've met for some specific reason and this is where I love using evolutionary astrology to really dive into what some of those reasons may be so we can look at our partner's charts and our own charts and create even charts specifically for the relationship as a separate entity to see not only what the purpose of your connection might be But what is the best way to navigate it consciously? And Mm. then ultimately there's, of course, the beautifully balanced, healthy, meaningful relationships that I I guess we all aspire to that are safe but evolved and each person feels safe to be themselves. It's meaningful. It has purpose. um, And the relationship is to help each other grow. Two people are learning to be the best of themselves because of the relationship. And they need They're they're in this life to not do it on their own. They need someone to help reflect and champion each other. So it doesn't mean there's no conflict in the relationship. We ideally need the conflict circling back to what you're talking about to push us up the wall, right, to push us out of our comfort zones and learn to evolve.
0: Okay. Now, you have made a few very important points about some relationships meant to be only short-lived. And when you spoke to this, a thought came to my mind, which I feel it is more prevalent in our society these days. And that is about the institution of marriage, because it really, in my view, without devaluing it, its purpose has changed over the years, over the decades. And I don't feel that it actually serves the purpose in situations where the relationship needs to end with the burden and the cost and the stress of divorce, of going through the separation process, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And even spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a wedding. <laughs> Which seems to be counterintuitive unless you have money to throw away. That's my view. Do you feel that the institution of marriage or the the role of marriage or the importance of marriage as in a formal agreement, which is a legal agreement, has any future really in our society?
1: Oh, look, it's it's definitely changed, and I think I think um, Disney, Walt Disney has a lot to answer for. Um <laughs> the institution of marriage um compared to even, you know, 50 years ago, let alone a couple hundred years ago, it was a um it was a transactional contracted relationship. It was transactional in the sense that, you know, I'm going to look after you and you're gonna look you're gonna serve your duties and whatever those roles may be, but they were fundamentally, mm-hmm. you know, around property and ownership and business and all those sorts of transactions, as for how it is today, I think as long as people are romantic that they will continue to get married. I I think as long as people have romance and idealism about what relationships are like are like in their head. And you know what it feels like when you absolutely are so madly in love with someone mm-hmm. that you genuinely believe it's going to last forever. And I watch our youth who um, have all around them, you know, plenty of examples of divorce and people breaking up and yet they still are going off and getting married. And, you know, I, I think there is a a deep yearning for that soul connection with someone that's going to help them go through life together and people do want to get it right. Of course they want to get it right when they initially get married but we have so many different choices now and because our relationships are not based on i don't need a man you don't i don't need a partner i can i'm quite self-sufficient thank you very much it gives us a lot more freedom it gives us a lot more free will so you're absolutely right that we can really navigate a lot of relationships in very different ways including marriage i just yeah it's a, it's a shame divorce costs so much. But, um, yeah, I think people will continue to get married. I do. But I'm a hopeless romantic yeah. and I've been married twice. So there you go. You thought I maybe have, would have learnt the first time, but <laughs> no, I did it again.
0: Yeah, which is another story <laughs> altogether. Mm. Yes, and and also when people want to get married, another thought that comes to mind is, isn't it, a need for security, because once you have a formal marriage, once you are married to someone, this is a way of security. So the question is, isn't the person insecure about the relationship to the point that they want to set it in concrete, if you like, in terms of the legality?
1: I think for some people, security is going to be really important. There are those people that need that stability, that security, and they are absolutely going to enter into a marriage for that seemingly sense of security, whether it is or not, it it, it doesn't matter. But I do honestly believe that there are other people that enter marriage for very different reasons as well. And they might be as simple as, Literally what you want is that person to champion you. I do life better with someone than alone, right? I need, and you can see that in a lot of astrology. Some people really are geared towards needing to have a constant mirror at someone who's constantly reflecting back to them, who's supporting them, who's helping them climb that wall, who, who literally are the grips that's coming out of that wall to help that person evolve, and equally the other person does the same. I think the literal kind of constitution of marriage is also we need to look at it from a ritualistic perspective, right? It is a celebration of love. And, you know, like I was saying before, people are still romantic. Not all, but some people are. And, I, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't think all marriages are based just on security needs. Yeah. some of them really are based on that feeling that I want to share my life with this person and I'm going to go and declare that in front of the people that I love in some sort of ceremony and hopefully I don't have to mortgage my house to do it.
0: <laughs> yes, and in fact having a commitment celebration becomes very popular because it's not you know, a formal marriage necessarily, mm. or it can be formalized at the appropriate uh, government mm. agency, <laughs> but it doesn't have to. And I know a, a number of people who have had a commitment ceremony. So they have committed to each other with their friends and loved ones, etc. cetera. So it looked very much like a wedding, but it wasn't wedding per se. So let's talk about karmic relationships. And how to recognize a karmic relationship? Can astrology help us recognize it? And most importantly, if we manage to end it, say if it's toxic or draining, are we changing our destiny or affecting our soul journey?
1: Oh, what a question. Um, <laughs> okay, so to, to start with, question. with, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The old karmic relationship or soulmate or twin flame that, you know, everyone seems to, you know, want to aspire to, it, you know, there's no doubt, right, there's a, a powerful connection or attraction can often feel karmic, right, like it's supposed to happen, it was fated, there's a feeling of having known this person before and all like a compulsion almost where logic doesn't seem to come into it. You might logically think this person's <laughs> not right for you but you end up marrying them anyway guilty um and you know you end up literally playing out some sort of karmic transaction or soul contract that the two of you have to actually play out in this lifetime there's some mysterious force from the unconscious or the universe that are pulling you together right Mm -hmm. and we can see in astrology often really strong um astrological indicators in our charts that can really pinpoint to these types of karmic relationships or some sort of soul contract that's going on and what those patterns might be, what those needs might be. However, just because someone's your soulmate or it's karmic, so to speak, doesn't mean you need to be with them together forever and it certainly doesn't mean that um, it's inherently good.
0: Yes, yes. could be negative karma.
1: Exactly. So as Stephen Forrest, my favorite astrologer, who you had mm-hmm. on, yep. um, he has the best quote. He says, a soulmate can be anyone who messes with your soul. And as a result, <laughs> you end up very different from before. And that just so resonated with uh, me. I love that definition because it covers yeah. those fated relationships that are so compelling but hard to navigate, but they do yeah. leave you changed ideally, you know, for the better. And equally, this is, I see this a lot, unfortunately, we can also end up in karmic kind of relationships where our soul becomes entrapped. And we're not talking about, I mean, we are, we're talking about the kind of relationship where one partner is trying to control the other, not only emotionally, but on a soul level, right, either via guilt or sexual power or material money manipulations, Um, or extreme neediness neediness, or, like, the victim-saviour kind of complex. Um, And I guess at its worst, you know, it it can become abusive. Um, You know, one partner puts the other down to their misery and their insecurities and the other becomes lost or entrapped um, in the unconscious kind of projections and dynamics of the other. And this can play out in so many ways and it's often seeped in, lifetimes of patterns that are not being worked through consciously like either by either party and yeah so I think relationship astrology can make um big it can be a big help in that regard so when you say if we manage to end it and if it's toxic are we changing our destiny or our soul journey yes and no because if we have finished our contract with that person we finished our contract with that person but also and more importantly is the fact that we don't have to be in a negative relationship or we don't have to be in a long-term relationship for our relationship lessons to play out, what our sort of soul journey relationship issues may be can be played out in so many different ways with lots of different people, right? So I don't think that we're changing our destiny or affecting our soul journey if we end our relationship specifically with someone. Our chart is our chart and lessons that we need to learn will find a way of attracting other people who are going to help us play out our soul journey anyway.
0: Very good point. Excellent point. Thank you. And my underlying question here was about how much free will do we have versus destiny when it comes when it comes to karmic relationships both good and bad when i say bad negative creating difficult really challenging relationships i really love your explanation that if it's not with this person someone else will come in to our life to fulfill this role as a mirror or to teach a certain lesson. So it doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone.
1: No, and the, and the trick there is to actually become conscious of what it is that you might be projecting out and therefore attracting. And what's yours that you are not owning, that you keep attracting, right? Look, I learned that the hard way in, in a relationship. I've got some really heavy negative, oh, heavy energy um, kind of magnet attraction kind of things going on in my life and I've I've often attracted some really interesting souls and then I kind of learned actually what I'm attracting is stuff that I'm not owning right I'm attracting the stuff that's now that's no excuse for the behavior of some people right but just becoming conscious of what Mm -hmm. you might what your underlying subconscious or emotional or childhood or past life traumas or indicators might be that are are playing out in relationships um it really is a matter of learning to own those parts of yourself and then you get to play them out on a much more conscious level and have healthier relationships so that's yeah yeah
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's now talk about some key astrological aspects in our birth chart and also in transits affecting our relationships. And I have one specific question here, (laughs) which is of interest to me. What if you have no planets in your birth chart in the marriage house or marriage sector, or certain planets? are in retrograde at the time of your birth. How does this play out? Okay.
1: Well, first of all, I genuinely believe we look at um, relationships now and we look at three different houses. And traditionally, Mm -hmm. for those who may know, um, the seventh house has been considered the house of relationships but really, the seventh house is the house of contractual relationships where we're exchanging something with someone on a on an intimate level. It could be money, a business relationship, it can be friendship. This person, you're you're in some kind of transaction, you affect one another, right? The fifth house, which is you know, two beforehand, is is romance. It's how we go about attracting who we want, our whole kind of romantic idealism. And then the eighth house, and I'm being really brief here, is is taking that connection that we establish in the seventh house, where we're learning to live with one another, where we are moving and dancing around one another on a daily basis. And the eighth house is how do we bond together? How do we become infused? Um, You know, what is our Deep naked emotional bonding signatures. So you've got three houses to look at for a start. And if you've got no planets in the seventh house, what it really means is that that's not where your major soul stuff is going to be worked out. That doesn't mean you don't have relationships. That doesn't mean you don't have difficult ones. And it doesn't mean you don't, you know, have to navigate some stuff. Right. What we also do is look at there'll be a sign on the seventh house cusp and we look to that sign to give us an indication of the flavor of relationships but we also look to other parts of your chart to see how you might relate how what your relationship needs where they may have been derived from your sort of either sibling relationships or your family relationships or your friendship relationships we also look to the planet that rules that seventh house cusp and where that is in your chart that will tell us quite a bit about your relationships and of course then to answer your next question there are some particular aspects when certain planets might move into that one of those houses or trigger one of our relationship planets like the moon or venus or mars by aspect that we often encounter what might feel like those fated relationships or those even brief encounters. There's some kind of transactional energy that goes on when you have those particular transits, right? And look, that's a whole other subject because there's so many nuances just to dive into there. But to answer your other question about retrograde planets, there's so much, I think, interesting information about retrograde planets some people say they operate more independently and therefore might not be, you know, necessarily doing their function with another, with, you know, in interaction with someone else. I think they just operate more internally. Okay. And that, I don't see them as any sort of negativity at all when it comes to relationships. So if I was looking at a chart and someone had, which I'm actually doing at the moment, six, someone's got six planets in retrograde. What I'm saying to them is that they need to understand and their partner needs to understand that they internalize everything. They need to process things a lot more than. interesting. Yeah, then they need to literally take the information in, sit with it, process it a bit more than just be able to be outward with it or expressive with it, if that makes any sense.
0: I haven't heard this explanation or this this point of view, this take on retrograde planets in your birth chat. Very interesting. I've got about six or seven. (laughs) When I saw it, I almost fainted. I said, oh my God.
1: Well, it also will depend, you know, um, which planets it is because you know when the, when the outer most of them. Well, when the outer you might have <laughs> most of you them. might have you know saturn uranus <laughs> neptune and pluto which, which we've pretty much got at the moment or about retrograde or going retrograde um and they're the outer planets they're not necessarily going to affect your daily life mm-hmm. how you interact in relationships they're more of a collective entity more of a generational kind of footprint but yeah, it all needs to be taken in context with the rest of your chart. So but it will mean that you are the sort of person, which of course I know that you are, you internalize, you think about things have to come in, right? And and yeah. sit within. You're not one of those <laughs> rah, rah, rah kind of people. So <laughs> that's what retrograde planets do. They just turn that the energy of that planet inward.
0: I'm feeling a little bit better. <laughs> oh, good! <laughs> that not not everything is lost yet. No, it is not. <laughs> and there is a different explanation, which actually does make sense in in my case, in particular. So, thank you for that. Mm. It, does astrology treat intimate relationships differently than all other times, like family, friends, work colleagues, neighbors? Which obviously I know that it does, but. What I am interested in is can you separate those and identify those different types of relationships in your birth chart?
1: Really, to answer the question, yes, we do and then we don't. So we look at general themes of how the person relates, like what their needs are in any relationship, right? But depending on the type of relationship and even the context, right? And the age of the person and everything, we're going to, we always need to have everything in context, which is why I hate fatalistic astrology. Um, But that's when we're looking at the type of relationship, we're looking at, um, you know, we're going to explore a whole heap of different elements. So when you look at a child and a parent relationship, you're looking at various different things that, we might still be looking at in your intimate relationship profile, but now we're talking about it on a different level because it has a different application. It's in a different context. It's now mother, child, father, child, brother, sister, friend, friend, business partner. It doesn't matter. We can look at different parts of the chart to see some signifiers of what those sort of relationship issues or challenges may be for that person. But really we take, we look at, the whole chart and apply it to the question in the context if that answers your question.
0: Yes, thank you. So in other words, when you are doing a relationship chart, you are looking at all those nuances, all those layers or those interdependencies, et cetera. So it is probably as complex or almost as complex as, as your birth chart because it
1: it's more complex. It's
0: even more complex, right? It's more complex yeah.
1: because when we're doing a relationship chart and so – for example, I'm I'm doing one right now, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the relation two people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, first of all, we want the consent of the other person, whether they are participating in the rela- in the consultation or not. I like to know that they know we're going to be talking about them, mm-hmm. if possible. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking at is I look at two separate charts, and I look at what are their needs, what are their individual needs? What are their individual temperaments? What are their drivers? How did they grow up? What would they may have learnt from their parental environment or their sibling environment? Where are their challenges in their own personal charts as to how they might relate or what kind of karma or past life stuff they might be carrying? So we have to look at the two charts separately. Mm -hmm. Then we start to overlay one chart on top of another. And we mm. literally um, have two wheels together and we can see, for example, let's say your charts in the in the middle and um, a significant person to you as we put them on the outside and we can see what planets, where they fall in your chart, so where these people will be affecting you, what areas of your life will they be affecting you.
0: Interesting.
1: And then we look at the aspects that you may have together. So you're a... Taurus sun for example if you're with someone who's a Scorpio moon um, we know that their moon and your sun are square there's a challenge right and then we start doing that for all the aspects all of the parts of the astrology which takes ages (laughs) try and we're trying to look for themes so we really are looking at how each other affects one another where are the potential places for challenge where are the potential places for growth what are the key things that have brought these people together what do they need to become conscious of about themselves and about the other person in order to develop um, a healthy relationship so i don't believe any relationship is negative you know absolutely doomed or anyone's doomed to loneliness or anything like that you can you can make stuff work but It absolutely comes down to one key thing, though. You can have the most astrologically compatible charts in the world, but if the two of you aren't operating on the same level of consciousness, it doesn't matter. I believe, I've seen it more and more and more, you need two people to be participating in the relationship from a similar level of consciousness. And, and, you know, we often see people start on a similar level of consciousness and then one grows and the other doesn't, and that's when friction can happen.
0: Could you talk to this, could you elaborate a a little bit on that, just for people who may not be familiar with this concept, what do you mean by operating at a different level of consciousness?
1: Okay, so, all right, so (laughs) um, I think of it as we can really have people that operate on a really mundane level, that they're operating on the surface of life. They are literally doing everything that society tells them they should do, when they should do it they don't necessarily stop to think mm-hmm. about the big questions of life and explore what those questions may be maybe they do but maybe they maybe those questions come at a later stage to their partner so hopefully when anyone has an existential crisis or any trauma in their life they do ask some of these big questions and they do learn and do evolve but some people do not so some some do stay in this realm of i guess Believing and just doing what the consensus does, right? And then, of course, there are others that put themselves totally outside of that perspective and are like it might feel like an outsider looking in sometimes. They're questioning, they're on a soul journey, they want to know more, they need to know the reason behind something, they need to find meaning. They might still be able to very functionally operate within the, you know, normal world, but. Their level of consciousness and how they actually understand themselves, how they understand their place in the relationship, the world, the universe, when those things are really different to the other, it can create friction. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes, absolutely. So we're talking about a different level of Mm. inquiry into life. And
1: it doesn't have to be the same inquiry, right? So I'm an astrologer, but I'm married to a scientist. Mm. We're very different. But we've got a level of inquiry, right, that fuels us in our own separate directions. And even though they can come out with very different conclusions about things at times, we we are that person that does not necessarily follow the herd mentality. We will question for ourselves. We will do our own research. And I'm not trying to say, you know, one is better than the other in any way, shape or form. People just sometimes are not aware until life throws them some kind of, massive curveball that does make them stop and think. But, yeah, so back to relationships, you know, it's the same thing as people then thinking they can change someone and you can't, right, you know, Um, unless that person wants to be changed. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Yes, the first item on your list of what not to do in a relationship, trying to change someone. And in fact, speaking of operating at a different level of consciousness, I actually have noticed recently that there is a growing number of couples who started the relationship at a very similar level. Hence, you know, they got together and whether they got married, um, may even have children or, or just being partners. And then few years down the track, one person decides to go on a personal and spiritual development pathway, for example, to develop this deeper thinking and questioning and searching, while the other person doesn't. So what happens, they separate from that point on, and inevitably there comes a point where the distance is so significant that they pretty much lose. The common ground, and and they get divorced, and I've and I know such couples, and I guess it's well, one might say mm. unfortunate, but mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't mean when they do go on separate tangents that they necessarily have to end the relationship again. It will depend on what is the purpose of the relationship. You know, if they are together to to actually, and they're the kinds of people who still have a security need or children's need or whatever some other need um still really is a dominant theme in their relationship. If one can accept the other going off on a tangent, then mm-hmm. you know that's all fine and well, but it can be really difficult to grow as a couple. That's the thing. It stays stagnant in some way even though this person's growing the relationship doesn't.
0: Beautiful. Would you like to share some examples of case studies from your relationship readings work with people um, that stand out?
1: Yeah, look, probably one of the ones that really does stand out is is my own and it really okay. is the one that, it really is what brought me to astrology. So it's incredibly significant because I'm revisiting it all the time and it really comes down to the fact that, you know, i very much attracted a particular kind of person. And I found myself in a very controlling, manipulative, abusive kind of relationship. And via actually having an an astrological session with someone who I really respect, I got asked enough questions to make me realise that this was was all my stuff, right? And I had to own this stuff. Again, not excusing my partner's behaviour, but if I could stand in my power and own the things that I've been projecting out, that I could reclaim myself and therefore end up in a completely different kind of relationship. And that is exactly what happened. I did end up in a very different relationship. Now, those parts in my chart are still there. They're just operating on a very different kind of frequency. Look, I've had numerous examples where, I've had people who are breaking up and they just want to know things like, are we going to get back together or what's the purpose of our relationship? And you can really unpack a lot of that in an astrology session. Yeah, no, I had a great one where we didn't talk about the relationship of this person with anyone else in particular. We spent the entire time just talking about her needs in a relationship, what she needed, what she might need to heal in order to actually attract the kind of person that she wanted to attract in her life. Another example, my own child. <laughs> I look at my own charts to see how to, you know, how I can help parent her. And um that that has worked. And, and there's been a couple of transits in particular where I know right, I need to tread a little bit more carefully with her at the moment, or I need to step back, Um, I need to just let go. Yeah, all of those sorts of things.
0: Yes, absolutely. What would you say to someone who has some relationship issues or would like to gain a bit more insight or they just started a new relationship? Just in a nutshell, as an overview, How could a relationship astrology reading help them navigate those issues?
1: So for a starter, it will help you know yourself. And I think unless you know yourself and love yourself and are prepared to do your shadow work and really come to a place where you love yourself, you can't really participate in loving another, right? Because when you do love yourself, like we said before, you're less invested in trying to change the other person you are more accepting, not saying you're gonna, you know, put up with everything. Yeah. But you also know what your um what your currency is, so to speak. What are you going to have in exchange with this person in a relationship? So that's that's the sorts of things that we can really um unpack in an astrology reading. You know, we get to a level of understanding where we know where the other is coming from. So you know, if you're doing a relationship reading for someone and their partner, you get to see and understand their perspective, what their needs are compared to yours and how might these be in balance or not and how you can both learn to accept and um, understand them. You get to understand where the potential areas of conflict might be and to some degree even when they might come up and what you can do to prepare for that. Um, and, you know, what are the best ways of working through conflict? If you're a, with a fiery person and, and you know, I want to emote and, you know, blah, and my logical partner wants to just be very logical and find a solution, I know that he's full of air and that's the way he's going to do life. I don't push back against that, right? It's a it's a beautiful place of coming to a real genuine acceptance um, for the other person that you hopefully can still love and respect, I guess.
0: Yeah. Mm, beautiful and just as as a final thought from me as I was listening to you I found it really interesting what you were talking about because in my coaching work and I used to do relationship coaching that exactly was my key approach we were looking at the needs and issues of each person and then combining them together and the and the key was that they didn't really know each other. They may have been together for a number of years, but they didn't really know each other's needs and expectations and values. So the session was like a big discovery of each other, really, because they they never took the time to actually get to know each other. And through um, using my own models, through questioning and Actually writing down and flashing out and talking about those inner aspects that affect the relationship. It was like a big eye-opening. So the approach is the same, which is interesting, drawing information from different sources obviously, because it it attests to the complexity of a relationship, which at the end of the day comes down to one key ingredient which can be explored to any extent people wish, and that is communication. Yeah. Communication. You need to talk about yourselves, about your relationship. You need to be able to open up and basically get to know each other.
1: (laughs) And you need to understand how the other
0: communicates.
1: What is the other person's love language? Are they going to, you know, run off and retreat when an argument comes up because they need to process stuff or are they going to, you know, are they going to avoid? Are they going to, you know, you need to know also, of course you need to communicate, but also how are you going to communicate and what are the other person's communication um, drivers and languages and, you know, that whole thing of... um, Oh, that someone who needs to be told they're loved all the time and then the partner says but i show you yeah <laughs> well that's that's not that's not what i need i need to i need you to I tell me i need to me. hear yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's oh, look it's fraught with complexities and i i i guess this is also why i think why astrology has just become so popular now particularly with our youth and i see my daughter and her friends at this age you know Maybe it's done on a little bit too much of a pop culture kind of way, but they really are trying to understand their partners by their via their astrology. and it's and it's great. It mm-hmm. gives them a different perspective of you know why it may or may may not work and what they can do to navigate it
0: mm. Yes. And also when we know the reason and the trigger of our partner's behaviour or reaction in a particular situation, it is easier for us to be more tolerant to accept it and deal with it as mm-hmm. opposed to leaving the room and shutting the door <laughs> on, on the way out
1: <laughs> yeah you don't want to you yeah. don't want to not deal with it or just let it you know wash over you or i'm not going to deal yeah. with that because you're so accepting i think there's a whole heap of you know spiritual mm. bypassing that we don't that is not um yeah. you know that can be toxic but really um i think we it is a matter of knowing how you communicate and when you communicate and um helping the other person understand how to how to deal with you
0: so getting to know each other communication understanding and and getting as much information as possible from astrology from coaching from all other avenues available to have Better relationships may not be perfect, don't need to be perfect, but better in terms of more heaven. <laughs> no,
1: but a little bit more heavenly. More heavenly.
0: Well, healthier, <laughs> essentially.
1: You want the relationship to be evolving in in some way. In some way.
0: Okay, well, Diana, thank you so much. Yeah. This this has been again another wonderful conversation and, and as always time is catching up with us because uh, because we we could be talking for hours. It, it's it's a never ending topic, so thank you so much.
1: And I love the way we came back to the fact that we both approach relationships the same, but for, from different come from different perspectives.
0: Yes, and I really appreciate your time. It's lovely to see you again, and thank you for being again on Quantum Living.
1: Thank you. That was fun. <laughs>
0: That's all for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you really loved it, please post a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to encourage others to listen to it. For the show notes, guest and podcast info, reviews, comments, and much more, please visit quantumlivingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to dive deeper into quantum living and explore how you could work with me, please contact me and I'd be delighted to help and support you on your quantum journey. I am your host, Anna Anderson. I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, keep your vibrations high and be well.